presents another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Protect your boat from harmful rocks and road debris with MegaWare KeelGuard, the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. For additional information, be sure to visit KeelGuard.com. Aaron, what do we have cooking for our listeners here in late August? Well, Kurt, it is master's class time in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We are going to bring Bass Edge Nation another in-depth look at summertime technique that I personally think is totally overlooked. And recently, a creative pro angler has introduced a new twist to it. I'm excited to hear all the details because I've actually already read about some of these early success stories. And it's certainly a technique I could use some work on, no doubt. Let's get out of the kitchen and onto the water with Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, it's that time of year. I'm seeing new vehicles on the lot, new boats on the lot. ICAST happened last month. There's new lures everywhere, all kinds of new stuff. And I hear that you've got a new 2015 something. I do have a new 2015 something, and that something is a Legend V20. It's the new model. It has ridiculous amounts of storage, having problems, exercising my self-control as not to put too much into that. But, uh, yeah, the Mercury 250 with power poles and electronics at Lowrance 9 inches that hopefully allows me to see more fish than what I can catch. But we'll see. You know, it's an, it's another year, and I know that you're out trying to catch some fish right now, kind of up in the state with mosquitoes the size of doves and uh, nice temperatures. The Empire State. That's right, Aaron. I'm glad you got those big screens. You know, you're getting up there in age. You're going to need those things. You can <laughs> see all those fish that are popping up on that deal. But uh, yeah, I'm in New York. Great place to be. You know, I did stuff my boat with all kinds of stuff because we are up here fishing so many different types of waters. We've been Punching grass, throwing frogs, tidal water fishing with small crankbaits and spinnerbaits. And before long, we're going to hit the eerie waterways and catch some brown fish with dragon tubes and drop shots. So great to be up in the North Country this time of year. Of course, the weather is beautiful. Highs in the 70s, lows in the 60s. What more can a man ask for? Man, that is for sure. Certainly beats the heat and the humidity of where I have been. But you know what? It won't be long. We'll be talking about the fall fishing. Hard to believe because summer is almost over. My daughter is actually back in school. But hey, you know what? Enough of our banter. Looks like we have Mark Negist on the phone to talk to us and raise our technical IQ for this week's Tech Minute presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. 
For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. joined by a man whose corporate badge from last year is worth more to his company's owners and the formulas he's developed. It's Tech Minute, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com with the Zen Master of Chemist, Mark Niggist of Lucas Oil Products. We received an interesting inquiry this week from Bud in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Bud asks, I'm wanting to purchase the used bass boat, but can't afford the newer models. It will likely be 10 to 12 years old. Is there really any way to tell if the motor has had a proper oil and additives used that you recommend, Mark? If I start using them after I purchase it, can any potential damage be reversed? Thanks, and I'm just trying to protect a potential investment. As in any purchase of a vehicle or a boat that's a little older, it's always a good idea to have it inspected by your mechanic prior to purchasing it. Just have them you know, look it over to make sure there's no major mechanical issues that might be existing. I also want to refer to what the OEM recommended lubricants were for that particular boat. In most cases, any new lubricants that are developed today supersede the specifications from, say, 10 to 12 years ago. So if you were to use a TCW3 for a two-stroke application today that called for a TCW2 maybe 10 years ago, you're fine. The main thing is you want to make sure that you use the proper lubricant for the proper application. But I can't say enough about making sure that you have the boat inspected by your mechanic prior to purchasing it. They can look at the internal components of the engine and tell you what kind of wear you have, also whether it was lubricated properly in the last 10 to 12 years. And what about damage reversal? Well, damage reversal, if there is damage within the engine itself, of course, uh, Lucas Oil products are excellent products. They are not mechanical fixes, but they are chemical fixes. So in many cases, if there is some mechanical damage, the products will prevent that or possibly fix it. But if the mechanical damage is too great, then you may have to actually get it repaired. Well, great advice for Bud and really the rest of us looking at a future purchase. Stay with us, Bass Edge Nation. There is plenty more to come. Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish. With our boat's exhilarating handling and smooth ride, extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats. I am Bass Elite Champion Mike McClellan, and you're dialed in to Bass Edge Radio. We are back, and it's time for the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Today is going to be a very intriguing discussion with a former BASS Elite Series Pro Angler, currently a lure designer, electronics instructor, and Kentucky Lake Guide. Welcome to Bass Edge, Ben Parker. Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Well, Ben, it is certainly great to meet you and have you on the show. And I'm not sure where all this is coming from, but I intend to find out. You know, recently, last month at ICAST, your name was all over the place. What in the world was going on at ICAST that you've got the tackle industry just raving about? 
Last month, I guess I kind of reinvented the wheel in spoon fishing. It's kind of funny. I've always fished flutter spoons on Kentucky Lake and all up and down the Tennessee River. And about a year ago, I was noticing these huge gizzard shad jumping out of the river and big bass chasing them. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm throwing this spoon, which I really enjoy throwing, but I need something that's a lot bigger and more mimics these large gizzard shad jumping out of the lake. And, you know, called a friend of mine, Brooks Woodward, at Nichols Lure Company, and we got to working on it. And a year later, we've got a spoon that's a heck of a lot bigger than any other spoon I've ever thrown at large mouth, and it works very well. I've got to tell you, I am all about the spoon, but typically have thrown the little inch-and-a-half white ones, silver ones, fluorescent sure. ones. And then not too long ago, I guess about four years ago, you know, the big flutter spoons, and Nichols actually came out with one back then, kind of, I think it was deemed the Lake Fork spoon or something along those lines. But you're even talking about one that's much, much larger. Yeah, this spoon is eight inches long. It's about two inches wide, and it weighs over three ounces so it's a pretty heavy spoon but it's like another tool in the tackle box because there's going to be certain times when you need a larger spoon a larger profile you need something that's going to fall faster in the water and create a reaction strike and that's what this spoon does well ben you know i saw a youtube video uh about a month and a half ago of you throwing this spoon and you and your buddy jake lawrence were out on kentucky lake and you guys were just throwing this thing around and all of a sudden you start jacking them man throwing some ones <laughs> over the side and it was a great video Video. A lot of guys saw that video, and all of a sudden at Kentucky Lake at the FLW Tour event, it kind of was the coming out party, if you will, for this signature spoon that you've got. And a lot of technique education isn't really given about spoon fishing. Can you give us some insight on what your favorite rod, reel, and line setup is for working this type of lure? Sure can. Uh, you're going to need a rod that's more akin to an Alabama rig rod, I guess. You know, right now we're working on some custom spoon rods. It seems like there's a rod for everything now and you don't hear a lot about spoon fishing and what kind of rod do you need? Do you want one really stiff or one that's got a lot of tip? Me personally and throwing a spoon this size you're going to have to have a rod that has a ton of backbone and you know if it's got a fast tip that's okay but I don't want a rod that's going to start bending at the handle. So you know this is an evolutionary process. Bass fishermen today are throwing bigger and bigger lures and smaller and smaller lures. So uh uh, the spectrum, I guess, is just getting larger. And this spoon in particular, it weighs over three ounces. You know, I've tried a lot of different rods. I've tried rods that you throw the big California-style swim baits on. The only thing that kills you is that you don't want a rod that weighs a lot. You need a lighter weight rod in terms of not the action of the rod, but the actual physical weight of the rod. Because how you want to fish this spoon is you cast it out there on 20-pound fluorocarbon. You need to have a really high-speed reel, at least a 7-to-1 ratio to catch up with it because a lot of times you'll get strikes when you're not in ready position <laughs> or in a football stance you know if you're lining up and the quarterback's about to snap the ball everyone's sitting there ready you've really got to be paying attention when fishing the spoon so you know when you cast it out there you want a rod that's going to be stiff enough heavy enough that is going to snatch that spoon back up off the bottom and if you stroke it up and your rod tip is pointing directly up and you feel a bite you've got to quickly reel down and set the hook again or you're going to miss that opportunity to catch the fish. A lot of times if you get over a school of fish, you'll get multiple strikes on a cast. And a lot of times it's just those fish close mouth striking the bait, but you want to have a rod that's heavy enough to handle it, cast it, and certainly, you know, it, it gets huge strikes and really big bass hit this thing. So you want a rod that's going to be able to handle a big fish so you can land it. Well, it sounds like Power Fishing 101 in a very
vertical sense. Big rods, big line, fast reels, man, that's right down my alley. You got into a little bit of uh, the action, you know, as far as kind of ripping the spoon up off the bottom. Watching your video, I kind of see some of the ways that you were working that lure. Can you give us, obviously, a verbal explanation of how you work the lure? What kind of different ways that you find are most effective in working that big flutter spoon? Sure. Spoon fishing in general on, say, a normal five and a half inch spoon, which up until now was considered a large flutter spoon. Those spoons, the way they are cupped and the way they've always been cupped is an even cup running throughout the spoon. And during the evolution of the magnum spoon, during the the molding process, we had to go through several prototypes. And in the beginning, I knew what size profile I wanted. I wanted one about eight inches long and, and a couple inches wide, and just to have a bigger profile like the larger gizzard chat in the water. But when we started the molding process, they send us a very shallow blank that is eight inches by two inches, and it has hardly any cup inside. So the metal is just basically flat. And we get a prototype, I would take it out on the lake, cast it, see how it acted in the water, and then send it back and say, put a little more cup in the lower end, you might turn the nose down a little bit, and you make these little tweaks. And you have to gradually work this cup into it because this brass we were working with is all hand hammered. And we're all doing this in the United States. So we're not sending prototypes back and forth to China. We're doing it with our manufacturers here in the States. And so we kept going back and forth on prototypes and we would gradually put a little more cup, a little more cup, a little more cup in the spoon. And I'll be honest with you, the prototype that we ended up going with, I thought was going to be too flat. A normal spoon, when it has a lot of cup in it, it will cradle or it it has that rocking action back and forth as it falls through the water. And most people, you know, if you cast that spoon out and close your eyes and describe what's going on with that spoon, you know, when you toss it out in the lake, you really have to be paying attention. And you can tell if you just pay attention what is going on with that spoon. And I have to manipulate the spoon and I have to fish it and I want to make it do certain things. So uh, a normal spoon that cradles all the way down, you know, in the past you throw it out and you would just kind of follow it all the way down to the bottom. And then you pick it back up and let it fall back down and cradle. And it was more of a finesse spoon fishing, really. Some people would stroke it like you would stroke a football jig or a 10-inch worm ledge fishing. But the magnum spoon, it doesn't act like a normal spoon. And the reason is it's just got a big flat center section in that spoon. So when you cast that spoon out and it hits the water, the magnum spoon is going to cradle three or four times and then the lower end of it is going to point downward and it's going to strip, I mean just take line off the reel. So when you cast it out there, never engage your reel. Let it hit the water, hold your rod tip up and just ride your thumb on the spool so so you don't have an overrun. This spoon is going to angle downward and speed away from you and it glides very, very fast away from you. I mean, this thing weighs over three ounces. But what will happen is it's almost like a a child going down a little slide. It goes at a real steep angle and then it'll flatten out. And when that spoon flattens out, it stalls in the water and it will cradle three or four times and then the lower end will get momentum. It'll point downward and it will go down down steeply and then flatten out again and that's why it's so different than how a normal spoon reacts in the water it's a different
different shape. It's a different cup. It's just, you know, a variation of classic spoon fishing and, and how the spoon's made and, and how you fish it. Wow, that is interesting, Ben. And, you know, now that you've kind of explained how to fish it, let's say Bass Edge Nation is heading to their favorite lake this weekend. What mm-hmm. is the type of cover and structure that you're looking for to kind of target with the flutter spoon? Well, I'm kind of a spoon fanatic. I've caught fish using spoons in a lot of different scenarios and a lot of scenarios that other people would never think about throwing a spoon. I've caught fish on the Tennessee River in the fall in five, six feet of water on a flutter spoon. And I cast it out there and never let the spoon hit the bottom. I just work it back through the water column. And you could do the same thing through suspended fish. But you're not going to want to go to a lake that's full of wood and stumps and toss it into a brush pile. That's pointless. You're going to stay hung up all the time. But I'm looking for areas of open water with gravel or rock bottom, something that, you know, you're less likely to have a lot of hang-ups. But anytime bass are schooled up or there's large schools of bait fish with bass underneath them, that's a great place to cast a spoon. Well, you know, certainly here in, you know, mid to late August, that is the time of year when you get a lot of those bait fish kind of suspended up on the bottom, and, and this is a perfect technique for that time of year, Ben. Great description on how that spoon works. Real quickly, when you're working that spoon, are, are you jerking the rod really hard, or are you just kind of winding it up a little bit? So, you know, as you described it, it's, it almost has its own action because it falls and then flutters, falls and flutters on its way back to the bottom. What's your rod action when you're actually utilizing the lure? What I want to do is and you can check this out on the YouTube video. It says Ben Parker, How to Fish a Big Spoon. That was a short little clip we filmed the other day because <laughs> I took it out testing the prototype, and I only had one of them. Uh, I actually had two, and we lost one right on the first cast. I had a bad spot and Jake flying. So Jake ended up just talking about the video. But when you cast out there and that spoon hits the water, my rod tip is straight up. My thumb is on the spool so I don't get an overrun, but I don't engage my reel. And I'm just focusing on what the spoon is doing and if you ask me at any point during my retrieve what the spoon is doing I can tell you because I'm paying that much attention to it so you'll feel it cradle it'll go flip 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 and then it will just start taking lines so I know it's going away from me and it really travel I mean if you're in 20 feet of water this thing seems like it's 30 feet away from you from where it entered the water by the time it hits the bottom but when it stops falling I immediately engage the reel and set the hook because one or two things just happened that spoon is inside a bass's mouth or it's laying on the bottom and sometimes you can't tell and a lot of times you'll be surprised when you stroke up the first time and there's something on the other end of it but if it hits the bottom and you stroke that thing up and then drop your rod tip and you just kind of want to follow the spoon back down you don't want to let it be completely slack you want to have controlled slack when you're following the spoon back down to the bottom because you need to be thinking you know hey I need to know if something bites this thing if the spoon does something that you don't make it do it's a fish biting it so you have to be really quick engage the reel set the hook again now sometimes when i'm graphing say down a ledge and i see bass that are suspended up way up off the bottom i'll do that initial cast i'll ride it down and i'll wait until it stops going down and i'll set the hook and when i do if there's not a fish on there when i come up with a rod tip and i'm in that set the hook motion i'll reel four five six seven eight times with my rod tip straight up and then click the button and feed it right back down through them so sometimes you need to take that spoon and reel it way up high up off the bottom hit the button feed it back to them again I got you there, Ben. Bass Edge Nation, that is your advanced techniques course on fish and spoons. I tell you what, we need to take a quick break. Bass Edge Radio returns in a moment. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Right. 
Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Spotlight returns with pro angler Ben Parker. Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oils to two cycle outboard oils that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Ben, I gotta admit, the first time I saw your name consistently near the top in the BASS standings, I wondered if there was a connection. Of course, I know the answer to this now, but how many times have people asked you if you're related to bass fishing legend Hank Parker? It's funny you ask. It seems like I get asked that almost on a daily basis, especially when I'm traveling around, because Hank has a son, Ben Parker, who fishes as well and has been on a lot of Hank's television shows. And uh, He's a great guy. You know, it's funny, about a year ago, I got a message on my Facebook from Ben Parker, and he put his phone number down and said, call him. And I called him up, and we've been friends ever since. It seems like we talk every few weeks because he's getting hot and heavy in the tournament business and fishing a lot of the Rayovacs. And I just talked to him yesterday. He was coming back from New York, I think it was. And we were talking about the spoon, and, of course, he's getting a lot of calls about, hey, that's awesome on the Magnum spoon, and he's having to correct people. And then I get people that call me, you know, once a week probably that says, you know, hey, I want to take one of your electronics courses. I fished with your dad 15 years ago, and I'm thinking, no, you didn't. My dad is Bobby Parker, and Ben's dad is Hank Parker. There's some confusion there, but, you know, we're both in the same industry. It would be good, I think, if we both did a show together, and that way people would realize that there's two Ben Parkers in the fishing game. Yeah, man, that's pretty awesome. Aaron, you you had kind of a similar situation with that uh, when you started Bass Edge originally, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked about that uh, quite a bit, and uh, the, the first time that we had Aaron Martins, T-E-N-S, from Leeds, Alabama on, uh, he and I had quite a good time with that. So, hey, good marketing for the both of you, I guess, though, Ben, right? As long as people are talking about fishing and they're talking about having a good time in the outdoors, it's fine with me. I just enjoy being around people and spending time on the water. And if you talk to Ben Parker or Hank Parker, they're the same way. I guess it runs in Parker blood. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably the case. Ben, you know, we can never know enough about our electronics. You kind of alluded to some of the educational process that you provide over there in Kentucky Lake. I know you've got a great perspective and tons of experience idling around Kentucky Lake. Why don't you give Bass Edge listeners maybe three processes or setups that you like to get the most out of your structure scanning sure i like to keep things simple and there's a rhyme and a reason for everything that i do when i scan around anywhere on the tennessee river and most lakes in general i never scan any further than 40 feet and that's looking 40 feet left and 40 feet right i feel that the more you change that range you're constantly changing the size perspective of everything you're looking at and when i keep it more of a controlled constant i can differentiate between that's probably bass out on the sides or that's bluegill or that 
that's bait fish. Uh, it just helps me wrap my mind around what I'm seeing. The only exception to that is, say, if you go to a lake like Douglas, where you've got fish that are in 40, 50 feet of water sometimes, and that's a deeper lake out in East Tennessee, I will actually go out maybe 50, 60 feet, but I know it's going to change the perspective of the size of the bass, but, you know, if you go to some of these lakes where bass live 60, 70, 80 feet of water, you're really going to have to expand on your scan range, but then it's more about understanding how the bottom lays out as opposed to looking for the fish on the side scan, structure scan, uh, you know, side vision, whatever you're using. On the super deep water, I will go out in range, but then I'm relying more on the down vision or the sonar to pick up the actual fish targets. Well, Ben, let me throw an example. Not that you're brand specific, but I have Lorance mm-hmm. on my boats, nine nine inch. What type of palette do you prefer when you're out graphing? If I had your graph or your unit and you said it was a Lorance nine inch screen, what I would use is palette number five. I just feel more comfortable with that and make sure that the surface clarity is on high during the settings and the noise rejection is turned on. And the reason why I like to use five, if you take the contrast and turn it down into like the mid 60s, 62, 64, somewhere in there, hard bottoms on a structure scan or a side vision, down vision, whatever you're looking at, the harder the bottom, the lighter color you're going to see. You know, that beam going out and coming back and then how it all works and reads. Harder bottoms have a harder return, so it's going to be lighter in color. If you have your contrast turned up too much when you're looking at palette 5 on your Lorance, fish show up white or they show up really light colored. And if you're over a hard bottom area, the fish will actually blend in with the bottom. So when I use color palette 5, I'm actually leaning more toward I don't want to have my contrast turned up too high because it'll just wash out and the fish will actually blend in if they're on top of a hard bottom scenario, if that makes any sense. As opposed to if I were running the down scan on the Lorance, I prefer palette number 7 because I'm not really looking at what's on the bottom of the lake. I just want the fish to pop off the screen. So I'll go to color palette 7 on a down scan and crank the contrast up to like 80 or 82. And man, when fish come across the screen and they show up in green blobs on a black, dark black background, there's no way you can miss them. And it just helps identify the fish a lot more. That's good stuff right there. Before we head into one of the favorite parts of the show, what about as we transition into this late summer and soon to come early fall transition period, you know, that can be a little tough on some of us. What other tactics do you like to use in that time of year? Oh, that's one of the trickiest times of the year, especially on the Tennessee River. And part of the reason, I believe, is that we've had 500,000 tournaments since the spawn, and a lot of these fish, they all come out on the ledges on Tennessee River right after spawn, and there's so many tournaments, and fish get caught, and they get put in boats, and they get carried on boat rides and redistributed around the lake. A lot more of that happens than most people realize. So a lot of these fish have been moved, and by the end of summer and early fall, the fish are just really scattered a lot. And the bait fish come up to the surface sometimes, especially when there's not a lot of current. It just makes it tough. It makes it really tough. So uh, one of the things I key on is riding around, scanning, paying attention to where I see bait. And sometimes a lot of the fish will go shallow again. Sometimes in a horizontal sense where they may move from a river ledge into a creek channel or on a main river shoreline type scenario. And other times it's just they move shallow in a vertical sense. There's still 
still on the river ledges, they're just really high. And one little trick that I have found, and it makes it difficult, but at least if you can identify this as happening, it'll really help you out. A few years ago, I went out on the lake in the late summer, and I was scanning ledges where I've been looking at fish all summer. And one day, it was like they were all gone. Everywhere I went, I scanned nothing. And I just got frustrated toward the end of the day, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go to this next spot and fish it. Well, I pulled up to the next spot and didn't drive over at my boat and just cast out there with a spoon, and the spoon never hit the bottom. Whack! I catch one, and it was a big one. And I made a few more casts, and I didn't catch very many more fish, but I caught three or four good fish, and then I pulled my trolling motor up, scanned over it. I didn't see anything. And the reason was is that the fish were only, I would guesstimate, 6 to 12 feet deep, and by this time of the year, they've been paying attention to all these boats going over the top of them. I mean, it seems like everywhere on the Tennessee River now and many lakes across the country, you know, the scanning technology has really changed the way we fish. But it's also the fish are kind of figuring it out, I believe. And they get harder to catch and they hear your boat going over them and over them and over them. And sometimes the fish hear this boat coming, you know, it's 250 horses coming through the water, even in an idle. They swim out of the way sometimes, especially if they're suspended really high in the water column. So you may be going over areas that have fish. They're just moving out of the way and you don't see them. So you got to keep that in mind. And if that's happening, then maybe you don't need to scan so much. Maybe you need to scan and learn how the lake lays out. But if you're not seeing fish, they may be there. They're just so high that you're spooking them. So that's where a spoon really comes into play as well. In those types of scenarios, when I'm river ledge fishing, I'm not seeing many on the river. And I think that they might just be really high suspended. I'll cast that spoon out there and never let it hit the bottom. I'll just work it through the water column and see if I get bit. And most of the time, it doesn't take but a handful of casts on a little contact point or a little area that you think the bass come to to find out. And then I quickly go to the next and to the next and to the next and figure out, you know, where the schools of fish are, are they living? Well, Ben, you know, that tip is a great testament on how we as anglers keep adjusting to try and catch more fish, but then at the same time, how the fish keep adjusting to what the angler's doing. And it seems always the best fishermen are the ones that can kind of stay ahead of the game. And certainly you're one of those. So I appreciate the, all the insight you've been able to provide you know here we go aaron you alluded to it earlier it's time for the o'reilly auto parts the professional parts people listener question segment today's 100 gift card winner is robert balboa from my hometown del rio texas ben robert asks you this i never see the pros fizz fish during tournaments and yet they hardly ever bring in dead fish is it because the tv producers aren't recording them when they're fizzing or just they have good live well areas chemicals and ice what do the pros recommend doing every time I've been in a situation where I put a bass in the live well and it rolls over I immediately know that a the fish is probably caught too deep I personally do not fizz fish I just don't see how it's healthy to take a needle and stick through the body of a fish or down its throat or through its side and into an air bladder. You know, I'm not a biologist, but I don't want someone sticking a needle like that into me. So what I have found that works very well are different variations of flip clips or some kind of weight that is attached to a clip that you can safely clip onto the fin of a fish without damaging the fin. All that bass really needs is just to be upright. When the bass lays on his side, he's trying to right himself or herself in the live well constantly. And what kills that fish is that when it can't right itself, 
it expends all of its energy trying to do so. And sometimes if you catch a fish really deep early in the morning, it's not going to last on its side. The fish ends up drowning in your box because he's just exhausted from trying to right itself. So I think the water temperature and chemicals, you know, I think that plays a role and it's important. You certainly don't want to put your bass in a live well that's 15 degrees hotter than the surface temperature of the water. Typically you want your live well water to be a few degrees, five to 10 degrees cooler than the surface temperature of the water because, you know, if the fish was down there 20 feet to begin with, that water temperature is probably greatly different than the surface temperature. So I want the water to be chilled. Sometimes I'll use ice, sometimes I'll use chemicals. But the main thing is just helping that fish right itself. And I think you'll lose a lot less fish by doing something as simple as attaching a flip clip to the fish. Very, very interesting. The clips that you speak of, do you make these? Do you buy these? Or um, what's your thoughts? I've seen every, I mean, you can go to an auto parts store, and Kurt can tell you this. I I saw his actually uh, a few weeks ago when we went fishing together. Kurt had some clips that were just homemade, you know, and he's using a two-ounce lead weight and attaching some kind of little battery clip uh, that you can get at an auto parts store to the weight and then to the fish. There are some, you can go to Tackle Warehouse and order what's called flip clips, which is a little one ounce weight on a small clip that you can attach. Uh, I've used those smaller versions when I've gone up north to like the Lake Erie and smallmouth fishing. You can attach those clips. You might do one on a really big fish. You might have to attach two, but there's a whole different variety if you get on the internet and look. But, you know, it helps the fish so much better, I think, than sticking the needle inside its throat or through its side. Real quick, let me let me address this too, and, and Ben's right. I kind of make my own clips and, and they work really well. I think some of the keys of this question too is that when we are in a tournament situation, you know, we're not taking a whole lot of time. We want to keep the fish healthy, keep them in the aerators and keep the ice, you know, in the water, keep the water cooled, all the things that Ben said, which are super important to keeping your catch alive. The great thing is when we're out here tournament fishing, generally, especially in the big events, we've got professionals on the bank that can uh, alleviate that air bladder for these fish so that when they are released, they're released healthily. Ben and I, we don't really want to uh, get into prodding on the fish or doing something wrong while we're in that tournament mode. And, you know, we're all fired up. We're trying to pay attention to, you know, if we were to try and fizz a fish, do it correctly. But, man, you just caught a fish. You're fired up. You land a five-pounder. Your hands are shaking. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So we take the approach, you know, especially in the big events, to clip the fish, keep them very healthy and in the live wells, and let the professional people do this, you know, at the ramp when the fish are being released. An important aspect of this is, uh, you know, if we're just out fun fishing, we're, you know, maybe take a photo of a big fish, but generally we're letting the fish go, and they don't have a problem going right back down to the bottom because they're still fresh, they've got a lot of energy, and their air bladders will right themselves down in the bottom. I do suggest, you know, if there's club tournaments, really do a lot of research, understand fizzing fish, try and fizz your fish when you release them at the ramp at your local weekend club events, or, uh, you know, maybe you kept the fish for a long time in a lot of well, because you caught it, uh, you know, your personal best fish, and then, you know, you realize it needs to be fizzed later on, so a uh, lot, lot of great YouTube videos online, you know, a lot of great things to uh, be able to understand fizzing fish, and I'm sure Robert does, you know, being that he lives in at Lake Amistad, but, uh, 
you know, kind of a two-pronged approach there with how we how we deal with that. The important thing is keeping your fish healthy throughout the day. And if it does need some fizzing or need some process, I think, Robert, the reason you don't see a whole lot of that in uh, the professional tournaments is one, probably because the producers aren't taping that particular thing, or most likely the pro anglers are just trying to uh, keep that fish healthy through the weigh-in and let the biological professors deal with that on the bank. So just kind of give a little bit more insight to uh, Robert's question there. But an important question, and most importantly, this in time of year, you know, late summer, we're catching a lot of fish really deep and it's important to understand fish quality health and fizzing fish you know obviously want to bring light to that very important to uh, our resource of bass well robert congratulations for having your question chosen to be heard on the show be sure to send us an email letting us know you heard it answered and we will send out your 100 dollars o'reilly auto parts gift card and bass edge nation please keep these great questions coming we certainly enjoy your feedback about the show and getting your questions answered here by great anglers like Ben Parker. Send your questions and comments to us via our email address, support at BassEdge.com, or through our Facebook page and Twitter handle at BassEdge. Remember, always include your name and hometown. Ben, it has truly been fun. Really want to thank you for taking time out to be with us on Bass Edge Radio and just a home run when it came to the information on the spoon, electronics, and fizzing fish. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we shut this thing down? You know, if anybody has a question, I'm open to the public. Uh, you know, if you can find me on Facebook, send a message. I'll gladly talk about anything as long as it's about fishing or waterfowl hunting or something like that. So, uh, you know, and if I can do anything for you guys, certainly let me know. But, you know, it's just awesome that we all get to get out on the water and spend time and do the things that we love to do. And I'm glad to live in this country. Ben, as always, been great chatting with you again. And certainly I'll be thinking about you every time I pick up that new Flutter Spoon. Bass Edge Radio, we'll be right back. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. There was, Aaron. I think we just set a new time record for the length of an interview. But I tell you what, it was awesome. Ben kept bringing the goods. I was just continuing to take notes, learning so much. And man, I got to tell you, I'm stoked to get that new Magnum spoon out there and start ripping them up on some ledges around some rock piles, humps. Man, it's going to be the deal. Monster bass on monster baits. I hear that. And my biggest takeaway was when he got into the electronics, talking about using the palette number five versus the palette number seven with adjusting that surface clarity noise rejection, messing with that contrast, seeing those big schools of fish right underneath you, that gets me fired up. So let's shut this thing down. It's time for me to hit the water, but before we do, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to us each and every episode here on Bass Edge Radio. Be sure to stay in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever works for you. For Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. We'll see you next episode airing September 1st. 
You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. The Edge is presented by Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.